Normal broadcasting has been discontinued. Coming to you from Portland, Oregon. The sports business capital of North America. Keep your radio tuned to this frequency. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Now, your host. I tell you, I've never seen anything like that guy. Brian Berger. Well, thanks for checking out the only show in the country dedicated to covering the business side of sports. Glad you could join us this week. Happy holidays. A great guest lined up for you this week in segment four, Ted Leonsis, the owner of the NHL's Washington Capitals and the NBA's Washington Wizards, joins us this week. Leonsis was one of the visionaries behind AOL's success for many years and is really a pioneer when it comes to the new media world we currently live in. And anytime you can talk to someone who owns more than one major league franchise, it's always a pleasure. A couple of other notes, visit my Sports Business blog or download the SBR podcast on demand. Just go to sportsbusinessradio.com. I'm joined in studio by Nathan Roach. Nathan, Leonsis is really a charismatic person. I think our audience is going to enjoy hearing from him. You know, after his plane nearly crashed in the 1980s, he developed a bucket list of 101 things he wanted to do with his life after being given a second chance. And this is a guy who not only is a sports owner, but he's doing all these philanthropic things. This is a guy who sees beyond himself. Well, and he's very popular. According to the Washington Post this week, he is only five friends away. And if you and Bobby send in a friend request, he's right. that much closer. Five friends away from reaching the 5,000 friend maximum on Facebook. I'm at about 100 right now, so I'm a little behind yeah. to get some friends. Yeah, I think we all have a long way to go to catch up with uh, Ted. So I'm looking forward to that interview in segment four of our show today. A reminder, the last two shows of the year are going to be dedicated to unveiling our top 20 sports business radio stories of 2008. If you want to weigh in with your top stories, send me an email, brian at sportsbusinessradio.com. We'll give you an Xbox 360 game if we like your stories the best. We may even bring you on the show with us, but uh, keep your eyes and ears open for that the last few weekends of the year. Some major headlines this week. Another athlete caught in the cross lights and uh, a game that's going to be played abroad, and uh, it's got an interesting little twist to it. We'll, well tell you about that in headlines. Well, this might be one of my favorite caught-in-the-cross lights we've had in a long time, so definitely stick around. We're going to break this one down for you. So you're saying this might be better than Ricky Williams and the Minnesota Vikings Ricky love boat Wh- Love boat's good, but Ricky Williams is just getting high. Like, this stuff is, uh, this is a lot better. All right, Sports Business Radio headlines coming up next. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. This is Brian Berger from Sports Business Radio. I know many of our listeners dream of a job in the sports industry but don't know where to begin. To me, it's an easy call. Go where sports business education got its start, at the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. It's the first business school in the country to offer undergraduate and graduate programs themed around this multi-billion dollar industry. The Warsaw Center offers a unique blend and strong general business training. Sports business curriculum taught by industry experts and rich out-of-classroom experiences, including real-world consulting projects, study tours, and internships. With a strong industry and alumni network and a staff dedicated to accelerating your career, the Warsaw Center has a proven track record of placing students in teams, league offices, corporate sponsors, marketing agencies, sports media, and sports shoe and apparel firms. But like any elite team, there's only a few spots on the roster. To learn more, visit sportsbusinessradio.com for a link to the center's website. The Warsaw Sports Marketing Center, passion, integrity, and leadership in sports business education. 
back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. It's time for this week's Sports Business Radio headline, sponsored by the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. Visit warsawcenter.com for more information. Headline number one. The NFL has announced that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the New England Patriots will play in London's Wembley Stadium on October 25th, 2009 as part of the league's international series. Nathan, the interesting twist here is that Malcolm Glazer owns the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, but he also owns Manchester United. The Buccaneers will be the home team for this game at Wembley Stadium, and the Bucks are going to lose gate receipts from a home date in Tampa Bay but Glazer has always wanted to get his NFL team, the Buccaneers, over to London, and now he's doing so with this game. Well, and it makes sense, too. I mean, Wembley is one of the biggest and greatest stadiums in the world, and we've seen the success of NFL at Wembley. You know, the Giants and the Dolphins in 07 and the Saints and the Chargers earlier this year. So this is a great move. It's great for the NFL, and you just get a massive amount of fans because it's one of the biggest stadiums. It's bigger than most of the stadiums in the NFL. So like we've talked many times before, the NBA has done a good job broadening its appeal in other countries. The NFL is now doing so as well with this game. Our next headline, Rogers Communications Inc. president and CEO and Blue Jays owner Ted Rogers passed away at his home in Toronto at the age of 75 this week. Rogers suffered from congestive heart failure. Now, Rogers is the second wealthiest person in Canada, his worth was $7.6 billion, and he's made his money uh, really from the telephone industry, the cable television industry, magazines, and owning a sports franchise. He's really been a pioneer. I guess if I was going to compare him to anyone in America, the closest person I could think of is someone like a Ted Turner, you know, who started CNN, who owns several sports franchises. So really, uh, Ted Rogers is going to be missed in his impact on Canadian sports and on just uh, Canada in general was a very big one. Well, and it'd be interesting to see how much the Blue Jays are worth as a Major League Baseball organization. I know that we're going to talk about franchise values in the NBA, but the Blue Jays don't strike me as one of those teams that really brings in a lot of money the way the Yankees and, and the Red Sox do. Our next headline, Black Friday, always an important day for retailers. It was a very good day for pro sports leagues, despite the fact that it wasn't a very good day overall for the economy. Uh, NFL, NBA, Major League Baseball, they all saw significant rises compared to the day after Thanksgiving in 2007. Uh, The NFL Increase of 85% in sales over last year. Biggest selling jersey was a replica green number four jersey from Jets quarterback Brett Favre. The NBA store, they were up 95% from last year. A number three Chris Paul Hornets jersey, that was the biggest seller. And then Major League Baseball store up 40% and the NHL store up 10%. So again, in this slumping economy... People are out buying jerseys and, and pro sports merchandise, Nathan. Well, the, overall, that surprises me. The Brett Favre doesn't really surprise me. We talked about it earlier this summer when we found out that Favre was going to be playing for the Jets. We immediately said his jersey is going to be the most popular jersey, and certainly that's the case here. I'd like to see what percentage of that money came from just those Brett Favre jerseys alone. Yeah, that would be interesting. Our next headline, the WNBA Houston Comets, one of the league's original eight franchises, will suspend operations effective immediately, leaving the league to field 13 teams for the 2009 season. 
The Comets, which won the WNBA's first four championships under Rockets owner Leslie Alexander, were sold in January of 2007 to local businessman Hilton Cook Koch for a reported $10 million. Uh, but financial difficulties forced the WNBA to take over the team operations in August, and now they've decided to suspend operations. You know, I hate to say this, but I wonder, the NBA obviously has put a lot of marketing power behind the WNBA. There are some of the franchises that thrive financially, but if the Houston Comets, which was really one of the signature franchises for the league, and as I just mentioned, won the league's first four championships, if they fold and they're in a big market like Houston, what are the chances for the rest of the teams in the league? And is it only a matter of time until the WNBA goes away altogether? Well, it reminds me of the women's major league soccer from a couple of years ago that went away altogether is now coming back in some form. But, you know, I wouldn't be surprised in the next two years to see the WNBA go away, at least for a little while, maybe come back stronger. Well, as I said, they still have 13 teams, so that'd be a lot of teams to go away. But we will see how long the NBA wants to carry the league with its uh, marketing dollars. Our last headline of the week, General Electric is suiting up for the Super Bowl for the first time in decades. It's believed they haven't run a spot since 1982. The Super Bowl is going to air on NBC. GE is the parent company for NBC. My guess is they're not paying $3 million for a spot. It's part of NBC's inventory, but it'll be interesting to see what GE comes up with as far as you know, production for a spot. What kind of clever commercial will they air? Or are they going to go with something more conservative? I bet you they go with something way more conservative, especially this year with the economy and the hardships with energy, the energy crisis and everything. I could see them going the conservative route. But uh, welcome back, GE, over 20 years, uh, 20 years later. Well, and it's funny because, you know, NBC has a number of different properties, as we've discussed many times uh, during the Olympics, you know, whether it's uh, Univision or the USA Network, things like that. So really, GE has focused their advertising since they own all of these different networks on advertising on those networks. So you're not going to see GE spots on CBS or ABC or probably ESPN. It's really going to be on that family of NBC networks. All right. One of our all-time great caught in the crosslight. Someone made a big boo-boo this week. For an in-depth analysis of the week's PR nightmare, Sports Business Radio presents Caught in the Crosslights. Crosslights. I've been waiting for this one all week. You know, there's the old saying, boy, that guy shot himself in the foot. Well, this guy actually shot himself in the leg. And it's Plaxico Burris, and he's a wide receiver for the New York Giants. I'm sure you've heard this story on numerous different media outlets this week. But it's a story that's really unbelievable. I mean, this guy... Uh, there are cover-ups. There's all kinds of drama. I mean, I, I can see like the you know the movie of the week coming out on this uh, two or three years from now. A little the Plaxico, CSI, yeah, a little CSI cover-up. But a de- you know, here's what happened: Plaxico Burris is in a nightclub. He's carrying a concealed weapon, which he didn't have a permit to do, and he shoots himself in the thigh. So uh, he's taken by a teammate to the hospital. New York Presbyterian Hospital, uh, and he checks in under an alias, Harris Smith, and he's released after 11 hours. The hospital never notified police, and any case involving a gunshot wound requires them to notify the police. So it's uh, 2 a.m., 
and one of a female doctor gets a call, goes in, treats him. Again, this is never reported. So now the doctor is in trouble. The teammate that took him to the hospital is in trouble. Plaxico Burris is suspended for the rest of the year without pay from the Giants, and he may never play for the Giants again. Might not even play in the NFL again. He probably will. But, you know, this is a weird story, and it's yet another black eye for the NFL. I mean, we had Michael Vick last year. We've had more Pac-Man Jones this year. Here's another black eye, something else that Roger Goodell has to deal with. And meanwhile, the Giants are plugging along. They're 11-1. and Nothing has bothered them. They're still winning games, and they've shown they can win without Plaxico Burris because he's been injured and he hasn't played the last few games. So what a knucklehead. The guy's not playing. He's on the injured reserve, and he's out until the wee hours of the morning at a nightclub in Manhattan, and he shoots himself in the leg. I want to know who checked him into the hospital as Harris Smith. Now, he's a football player, so I understand they have helmets on. They're not as visible as maybe an NBA player or Major League Baseball player. But at what point do you look at this guy and go, gosh, who you're Harris Smith? Everybody knows in New York who Plaxico is, and it's just amazing to me that he could check in under that alias. And the funny thing is, is usually, you know, in this case, the hospital covered this up with him. Usually the hospitals, when Britney Spears or Farrah Fawcett or any of these people have gone to the hospital, the hospitals are the first ones to sell them out, and they sell them out to the tabloids. Yeah. And they say, look, this person checked in under an alias. Their publicist usually checks them in under an alias. Not in this case, because the publicist was nowhere around. I don't even know if Plexico has a publicist, but it's just an odd twist. And now the person who protected him, the doctor who treated him in the, the wee hours of the morning and helped cover this up, is now in big trouble and may not be able to practice medicine again. Rightfully so, as they should. Well, and Mayor Michael Bloomberg, the mayor of New York City, is enraged about this and has called for the authorities to crack down you know, do your investigation, but you should not treat Plaxico Burris any different just because he's a celebrity. All right, that's one of the all-time great caught in the crosslights. Coming up next, Forbes released its list of NBA franchise values. We're going to go through that list. We're going to tell you who increased their value, who lost money, and how a star like LeBron James impacts your franchise value. And then coming up in segment four, Ted Leonsis, the owner of the Washington Capitals of the NHL and the Washington Wizards of the NBA. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Stick around. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. My guest is Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Let's go back to the year 2000, the year before you bought the Mavericks. They were 40 and 42. Fan interest was pretty lukewarm. When you bought this team, what did you see in this team? What was the potential that you saw to get them to where they are today? Probably none. <laughs> <laughs> Brian Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. My guest is Dr. Miles Brand, the president of the NCAA. I think the reason why we have a BCS-type system in Division 1A and elsewhere we have playoffs is that the schools in Division 1A feel that the regular season is the most important aspect of football. Read the Sports Business blog and listen to SBR On Demand at SportsBusinessRadio.com. See, I think that's the big thing. Sports Business Radio, Saturday. <laughs> Or online at sportsbusinessradio.com. 
Experts say buy what you know, and you know sports, right? But is it a good buy? For an insider's look at sports on Wall Street, Sports Business Radio presents Stock Up, Stock Down. Well, the NBA franchise values were released by Forbes magazine this week. You can go onto my blog at sportsbusinessradio.com and check those out. But I wanted to go through the list. We won't go through the entire list because there's uh, 30 teams in the NBA. But let's go through the highlights, Nathan. The most valuable team in the NBA is the New York Knicks. And that's for the fourth year in a row. They have a value of $613 million. The second most valuable team is the Los Angeles Lakers with a value of $584 million. The Chicago Bulls are third at $504 million. Now, people may say, the Knicks stink. They haven't been good in a long time. Why are they the most valuable franchise in the NBA? Well, the reason is simple. They're in New York. They're in the biggest media market. And Chicago, New York, L.A., top three teams on this list, all major markets in the United States. Part of your franchise value is not only your team, it's also your facility, and it's your ability to make money from media deals. So you're going to make a lot more money from media deals, TV and radio rights in New York, Chicago, and L.A. than you are in Portland or Oklahoma City or Milwaukee or someplace like that. Well, and here's the thing, too. I mean, looking at this list, and I know you're going to break it down a little bit more, but looking at this list, you can basically go down it and see the top markets And that's usually where the teams are going to fall. I know that Portland is right around 20, and their DMA rank is about 24 in the nation. So that seems about right based on where these teams are located. Well, there's interesting things with this list. One of the things I look at is obviously you look at the most valuable franchises. But the other thing you look at is which teams are increasing in value from year to year. Because remember, when you're a pro sports team owner, you are – operating either at a loss or you're breaking even. We've talked to Mark Cuban about that. We've talked to many owners about that. So they're just operating at a break-even or maybe losing a little bit of money. And where they're making their money is in franchise value. So if your franchise is not making money from year to year in value, then you're really in a raw deal. The Portland Trailblazers gained 21% in franchise value from last year to this year. You look, they added Greg Oden. They've got Brandon Roy and LaMarcus Aldridge. They've got their building back. They didn't own the Rose Garden Arena before. Things are coming together. They even have Rudy Fernandez, who is a big star from Spain. So this is a team with appeal. And if someone was going to buy the team from Paul Allen, they're worth a lot more today than they were a year ago, 21%. On the flip side of that, let's look at our friends who own the Oklahoma City Thunder formerly the Seattle Sonics. Just two years ago, they bought the team from Howard Schultz, the Starbucks magnet, for $350 million. Then they paid $75 million to the city of Seattle to get out of the lease at Key Arena. So do the math, that's $425 million. Well, according to Forbes, they're valued at $300 million. So you talk about going the other way, they've lost... $125 million if we're looking at these numbers from Forbes as being accurate. That's really bad news because they're also operating at a bit of a loss. Well, and didn't they have to pay $50 million to all the owners in the NBA for relocation? I mean, so you tack that on top of that, now you're really in the hole. You're really in the hole. Now, they've gone to Oklahoma City. They've sold out all of their tickets. They've sold out all the suites. They've got really good deals for TV and radio. So 
they're a team that's probably making some money on the operating expenses year to year, but that franchise value, they've got a lot of work to do, and they better sell a lot more tickets and win some championships. And Yeah, I mean, to make up that $125 million, that's a very, very big number. Now, let me talk about the Cleveland Cavaliers for a minute. LeBron James, you want to know what kind of impact this guy has. When LeBron James, Dan Gilbert owns the team now, and he bought the team a few years ago, and he bought them from Gordon Gund, and Gordon Gund still has a little bit of a ownership stake in the Cavaliers. But the Cleveland Cavaliers, who are, Cleveland's a mid-sized market. They're worth $477 million, according to this list, and that's a big number for a city like Cleveland. And you can bet this, if LeBron James does leave the Cleveland Cavaliers in 2010, that number is going to go from 477 down to about 400 real quickly. So when you talk about the megastars in the league, the Kobe Bryants, the Dwayne Wades, the LeBron Jameses, the Chris Pauls, these are literally players who impact the value of their of your franchise from the moment you sign them. So you can't just look at what you're paying them. You have to look at what do they mean to my franchise's value as well. Well, yeah, and you have to wonder if LeBron goes to New York, whether it's the Knicks or the New Jersey Nets, Imagine what their franchise value is all of a sudden going to do. The New York Knicks are already first. If they're going to go through the roof. Well, and that's why Cleveland, you can bet, obviously they're going to offer him a max contract, but uh, they really want to keep him in Cleveland. All right, coming up next, Ted Leonsis. He is the owner of the NBA's Washington Wizards. He's also the owner of the NHL's Washington Capitals. He is a super fascinating guy, one of the prime visionaries at AOL when they were in their heyday. You're not going to want to miss this interview. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. When I'm looking for a place to have dinner with family, friends, or business associates, there's only one restaurant on my list. Morton's The Steakhouse, the best steak anywhere. In its 28th year in business, Morton serves only the finest quality foods, featuring USDA prime-age beef, fresh seafood, hand-picked produce, and decadent desserts prepared to perfection. Not to mention the award-winning wine list. When my destination is Morton's, the best is always on the menu. And they treat me like a VIP during every visit, whether in the dining room or the private boardrooms. With almost 75 restaurants conveniently located around the world, Morton's is the gold standard when it comes to steakhouses. To find the Morton's nearest you or to make a reservation, Go online to mortons.com. Morton's, the best steak anywhere, and the official steakhouse of Sports Business Radio. One-on-one with those making the big-time decisions that impact your sport. This is Sports Sense on Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio. My guest is Ted Leonsis. Ted is the founder, chairman, and majority owner of Lincoln Holdings, a sports and entertainment company that holds ownership rights in several Washington, D.C. entities, including 100% of the NHL's Washington Capitals and the WNBA's Washington Mystics. Lincoln Holdings also owns approximately 44% of Washington Sports and Entertainment Limited Partnership, which owns the NBA's Washington Wizards and D.C.'s Verizon Center. Ted Leonsis is known as one of the country's premier businessmen, having held numerous leadership positions at AOL. Ted, thanks for joining us this week on Sports Business Radio. Nice to talk to you. So 
you're an amazingly diverse individual. You're involved in many businesses, entertainment and charitable endeavors. Let's start with your role at AOL. You were one of the company's first employees and really one of the main visionaries for the company. How did AOL lay the foundation for the new media environment we live in today? Uh, well, we were very, very cognizant of how complicated and tough to learn and use the Internet was. And we really set out to make it very accessible um, to consumers. And probably what I'm most proud of is that we took very, very tough, complicated things and made it very simple. And we got America online and built a very, very big franchise that had lots and lots of customers and really were the leader in that first generation of development of the Internet. You know, you talk about the development of the Internet. Now, from watching video on your handheld devices to blogging, the way we consume our information has really changed. As a pioneer of new media, what's the next phase of technology that we're going to be utilizing in our lives five years from now? Well, I think we're seeing bits and pieces of it right now in that you as an individual are in total control of your communications and information. All of the power has shifted to the consumer and away from the the high priest of media. And, you know, I, I joke, we used to talk about 900 channel universes, and it's really coming down for me personally to one channel, WTED, information and communications and connectivity when and where I want it. And I live in this three-screen world, television and computer and my phone. And, you know, there's a, there's a way that I want to get information and be connected in each one of those form factors. And so this, we're going to have to live with this three-screen world, and, and media companies and sports and entertainment companies are going to have to be able to make information um, um, drinkable at whatever water fountain the individual wants to drink at. One of the main mediums that I think is having a difficult time making that information drinkable, as you put it, is newspapers. Newspapers are laying staff off around the world. Uh, what's the future of the newspaper? I mean, I've said on this show that I think, you know, 20 years from now, there may only be a handful of printed newspapers. Well, I think the the game's over, and and I don't. I'm not saying that in a in a flippant way. Um, we live in a world in the internet and new media where you offer more and more for less and less. And print-based media, and especially newspapers, live in the absolute opposite world. It's more expensive to print and ship a newspaper. It's not very environmentally conscious to chop down trees and ship them around on on trucks. And so Wall Street, the financial community, has essentially said that the industry is going to zero. Um, and if a newspaper company that had a website shut down its newspaper today, and lost 80% of its revenues, its stock price would go up because Wall Street right now has said this market will go to zero where the Internet's growing and they could show growth in double digits. There would be hope. And so I think what you'll see 
um, is where it used to be I publish from my newspaper and my website is aside it. Now you'll see I publish from my website and my blogs and my syndicated media and my newspaper is aside it. And I use the newspaper really as a way to promote and drive traffic and sell ad packages in my electronic media until that becomes too expensive and then that just goes away. Very, very interesting. Uh, my guest is Ted Leonsis. Ted, let's talk about your sports teams. Uh, how did you first develop your passion for sports? Um, well, I grew up a poor kid in Brooklyn, New York. My mother and father both worked. I'd get out of school at 3 o'clock. They wouldn't get home till about 7. So I had four hours to stay out of trouble. And you'd do a couple hours of homework, and then you'd play a couple hours of sports. And where I grew up, kids played roller hockey. They played basketball. Um, or you played softball, and so you know you couldn't play golf, you couldn't play there were no soccer fields. Um, there really wasn't any baseball or lights for baseball, and so so I basically played a lot of indoor sports, and we played hockey, you know, roller hockey, or just running around with with sticks and a and a can sometimes, <laughs> flat and can, or I played a lot of hoops, and so you know I grew up. Loving the sport, I was very fortunate. Every I was an only child, and every Christmas, my main um, gift from my dad would be a 19-game package where we'd go see Knicks and Rangers games growing up. And so I just loved loved the game. I loved the competition. And so when I had the opportunity to buy the teams, I, I just jumped at it as the chance of a lifetime. When I was growing up, I wanted to be a pro athlete, and then at about age 12, I realized that was never going to happen. <laughs> yeah. Was that kind of the same for you? You know, I, I've listened to people say, well, they wanted to be an athlete or they wanted to be a coach. Did you ever say, I want to be a pro sports team owner when you were younger? Um, I w- was in a plane accident in 1982 and survived it. And I wrote down a list of the 101 things to do before I die. <clears throat> and in that list, I wrote on a professional sports team, win a championship. And so, you know, I've checked off one, and I'm working hard on checking off the second one. Let's talk about that list for a minute. I was going to ask you about that, but we'll get into that now. You know, on this list, it's an amazing list. Uh, Meet Mickey Mantle, check. Play one-on-one with Michael Jordan, check. Sail the Mediterranean, check. Raise millions of dollars for charity, check. I mean, it's an amazing list. By my count, you've done 74 of the 101 things on the list. I mean, how did you come up with this list? You just described that you had a near-death experience, but how long after that experience did you come up with this list? Well, on the way down on the plane, um, I was negotiating pretty hard with a higher authority, and I said, please let me live. I promise I'll play offense with the rest of my life. I'll I'll leave more than I take. Um, you know, you, you, you do everything to rationalize that what you did up to that point in your life wasn't enough. And, but I realized afterwards that I didn't have a roadmap. I, most people, you don't know what will make for a full life. Yet in business, you're always metricing, you're always making lists, you're always doing goals and visioning statements and the like. And so I just felt that was a way to put something in writing 
and to drive me towards these achievements of, you know, trying to do good or trying to have fun or trying to give back. And that if I could live my life by that, that the second part of my life would be more fulfilling than the first part of my life. Yeah, I mean, the list is really impressive to me, A, because like you said, it does establish a roadmap, but it's not just, you know, hey, I want to make money or hey, I want to do this fun well, thing. Well, there's some but, of that. There. I'll be honest with you. I'm not very proud of the list. It was done, you know, I was 25 years old and sure. it was done like in a day and I've, I've it was kind of random. You but know, there's I, family stuff too. I mean, there's, oh, yeah. there's, there's real human being stuff on that list. Yeah. And, and even, even the list has, um, I've tried to find a higher calling in it. I've spent a lot of my last 10 years or so focused on, well, what did the list try to get at, which was you want to live a life without regret. You want to, you want to have a, um, a self-actualized life, and ultimately you want to be happy, right? That's the biggest deliverable. And so I spent a lot of time in looking at what makes people happy. And, you know, I have come, in fact, I'm writing a book right now on the importance of happiness in all our businesses, that we're essentially in the happiness business in sports and filmmaking and even the internet and, and media and new media business. And and what seems to make people happy are five things. Um, the first is that they are an active participant in multiple communities of interest. Um, the second is that they have very high levels of personal empathy. Um, the third is that they self-express. Uh, there's a reason there's so many blogs out there. Um, the fourth is that they volunteer and that they give back and that they feel that they're connected as part of a team. And the fifth is that they're in pursuit of a higher calling. And what I try to do in all my business affairs and personal affairs is try to run what I'm doing through those screens. And if they, they don't have at least one of those check marks, then I won't do them. If they have all five of those check marks, then I'll pursue them with vigor. What's the name of this book and when's it coming out? Because I, I want to go out and get it based uh, on what you just said. Thanks. It's unnamed right now. Um, if you go to my blog, you can help me um, take the um, the happiness survey, and that'll help me. And the blog is tedstake.com, right? Yep. So, uh, you know, speaking of higher callings and things like that, I mean, I want to get to your sports teams in a minute. But you produced a critically acclaimed documentary titled Nanking, and uh, Woody Harrelson was in it, Mariel Hemingway. Hemingway. Um, talk about that movie a little bit. I, I read an article with you recently that said you might be done being a producer. You might want to do some other things as far as distribution is concerned. But uh, talk about that project and what it was like to be, you know, you've done sports and all these other things. What was it like to work on a movie? Well, I've made two films. The first film was Nanking, and... It was a movie about uh, human tragedy, but also triumph about a time in history when the Japanese invaded Nanking, China, and a dozen or so Americans and Europeans stayed behind and created a safe zone and saved 250,000 Chinese refugees from death. And while making the film, I coined a term called filmanthropy, which is, hey, you can use films to activate charitable giving 
and and create communities of interest and right wrongs. And then I made a second film called Kicking It, and Kicking It was bought by ESPN, went into theaters, it starred Colin Farrell, and it was a film about the power of sports to transform lives, in this case specifically soccer, and it dealt with the subject of homelessness and an event that's actually going on right now, the annual Homeless World Cup. And the movie did very well, and we've been raising money, and and it really humanized, put a human face on homelessness. And from that, it it motivated me to start my latest venture, which is called Snag Films. Go to snagfilms.com, one word. And it's basically a way that everyone can become a philanthropist. Uh, we show free full-length documentary films. We attach a charity to the film, and then we allow people to come and watch them at snagfilms.com. And if they like the film and the charity, they can snag that film and drag it and embed it into their blog or their MySpace or Facebook page and let all their friends see it for free as well. And so they basically open a virtual theater for us. And we're about four months in, and we're close to hitting 100 million pages. So it's been a big success. And I think we can help filmmakers and charities and let people use film as personal expression. What a brilliant idea. Just a few minutes left, my guest is Ted Leonsis. Ted, the economy has declined sharply in recent months. You have a stake in an NHL team, an NBA team, and a WNBA team. Which league is best set up to weather these tough economic times, in your opinion? Um, well, I think, I think uh, leagues that have salary caps, like the NHL, where the revenues are split proportionately between the players and the league, whether they go up or down, are best positioned. Um, if you have long-term guaranteed contracts, but the variable revenue goes down, your losses will increase. And so, you know, the, in the NHL, the players are our partners. You know, they're getting 55% or so of the revenues. If the revenues are up, it's a heyday for everyone. And if they go down, we all share in the pain. And so, you know, I think the NHL is in good shape. I think the NFL is in good shape. Teams that have um, um, leagues that have teams way over the salary cap and where their revenues are declining while their expenses increase dramatically, I think that's a bad situation. I want to ask you, as the owner of an NHL team, are you satisfied with the league's current TV deal with Versus, or would you like to see the league make a deal with the network that has broader distribution, like an ESPN? Well, I think bigger reach and more money would be great for all of us, but let's be honest, we couldn't get that, and, and Versus has been awesome. Versus loved the game. Versus loved the sport. They're, they made big investments. They're owned by Comcast. They're very committed, and you know they've been great partners, and you know we're kind of growing together. We have to remember that ESPN2 used the NHL to build its footprint, and Versus is doing that as well, and you know we have to be thrilled with the kind of commitment and and expenses and dollars that Versus is paying, and they've been fabulous partners. But yeah, I mean, I'd like to be on prime time, you know, all the time. 
Um, sure. But we just we don't have that luxury, and so we're in this together with Versus, and we want to do great by them. You have one of the most exciting, dynamic young players in the NHL on your team, the Washington Capitals, Alex Ovechkin. He's one of the elite players in the league. What can you and the league do to make him more of a household name and grow the Capitals brand as well as the NHL brand in the process? Well, I think he's crossing over already. Um, he's certainly a global superstar. Um, and he's arguably, you know, one of the number one or number two best-known NHL players. He's MVP. He's very charismatic. Um, and, you know, what he probably needs is that breakthrough sponsorship national contract. He has some great deals locally. He has some great deals with um, with hockey suppliers and the like. But he, he doesn't have that Michael Jordan-esque Nike kind of campaign where someone else's ad dollars are helping to build his brand. Right. Last question. You're obviously a go-getter. You're very successful. Anything you've touched has been very, very successful. You have a lot of passion. What advice can you give to our listeners to help them achieve their goals and dreams? Well, right now, I'm, the advice I'm giving everyone is catch your breath and remember it's only money and huh. that this downturn is unlike any others for the positive it is an equal opportunity value destroyer. We're all in this one together. It's not like there's any pocket, secret pocket of the economy that's doing very well. Right. And so, you know, it's time for us all to refocus on what's vitally important, what what matters in life, and to make sure that we're focused on those vital few and, you know, we cut our budgets and cut our time and cut out the noise around the things that aren't that important. And I think we have to do that in our personal lives as well as well as our business lives. Great advice. Go to tedstake.com to read more of Ted's thoughts. He has a great blog. Ted Leonsis, I really appreciate you taking time great. and joining us on Sports Business Radio. Uh, appreciate it very much. Take care. You too. Guests appearing during our Sports Sense segment will be treated to the gold standard of all steakhouses, Morton's the Steakhouse, the best steak anywhere. For the Morton's nearest you, go online to mortons.com. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. This is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. We live in an age where everything is on the record. What we say anywhere, whether it's in an elevator, in an email, or during a conversation with a reporter, is now being broadcast instantaneously on YouTube, in a blog, or through the mass media. It's easier than ever to spot someone who has been traditionally media trained and is just giving you that same old boring PR speak. I want to help you navigate the tricky media landscape. When I'm not hosting Sports Business Radio, I team with former Nike PR director Lee Weinstein to form Evergreen Media Training. Evergreen Media Training assists individuals and groups by offering unique preparation and training catered to your specific needs. From explaining today's media environment to providing you with post-training monitoring and feedback, we'll guide you every step of the way. With nearly 40 years of combined experience working with some of the biggest names in the sports industry, we'll help you communicate your messages honestly, thoughtfully, and from the heart. For an overview and a list of services, visit evergreenmediatraining.com or email me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com. The website is sportsbusinessradio.com. So Notre Dame's athletic director came out this week and announced that Charlie Weiss, the head football coach, will be staying on for at least one more season. And Nathan, this story has a lot of business elements to it because Charlie Weiss, only seven games into his career at Notre Dame, 
and he had a contract. When he originally signed at Notre Dame, he signed a six-year deal that was going to carry him through 2010. After only seven games, Notre Dame ripped that deal up. They gave him a 10-year extension. So his contract now runs through 2015. And it's believed that he's got one of the largest buyouts in college sports history. Some figures, according to the Chicago Tribune, have the buyout at 4 to $5 million. Other publications have said the buyout's as much as $20 million. So when you look at this from Notre Dame's standpoint, you almost can't afford to fire the guy because his buyout number is so large. Well, you use the word can't afford. Let's be realistic here. Notre Dame is a very wealthy university, and they have a unique deal in that every single one of their games is televised on NBC, and you can only imagine how much that partnership is worth and how much money that Notre Dame gets in those rights. So I'm on the fence here. I would say if you're looking to improve your program, you get rid of Weiss, you buy him out. On the flip side of it, you really don't have anything to lose because Notre Dame is always on TV. It's Notre Dame, and people always seem to watch them and buy their gear. So it's kind of an interesting tangent you got here. Notre Dame, much like Auburn, who... uh pretty much got rid of uh, Tommy Tuberville this week. They're all about results. Notre Dame has lost more games in the last two years than they have ever in the history of their football program. That does not reflect well on Charlie Weiss, but he's going to be around for one more year. A lot of thank yous on our show this week. Ted Leonsis, fantastic interview. That interview is available on demand at sportsbusinessradio.com anytime you want to listen to that. Our show staff, Nathan Roach, Bobby Corser, Josh Blank, Darren Peck, Ron Barr, James Harris, and Doug Zanger. Our sponsors, Morton's The Steakhouse, the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon, ProTrade.com, and Evergreen Media Training. A podcast reminder, you can catch our show on demand via podcast every week. Just go to sportsbusinessradio.com and click on the podcast page. I'm Brian Berger. I hope you have a happy holiday season and get all your shopping done early. We'll talk to you next weekend right here on Sports. Business Radio. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. Robert Sarver, the owner of the Phoenix Suns. When people come to a Suns game, what kind of an experience do you want it to be for them? We want them to be entertained from the time they walk in to the time they leave. The co-owner of the Sacramento Kings, Gavin Maloof. Gavin, thanks for joining me. My pleasure, Brian. How are you? Dr. Miles Brand, the president of the NCAA. Sports Business Radio. Saturday. That's why you're a smart business person. <laughs> or at sportsbusinessradio.com. <laughs>